Welcome in to the Cover 5 podcast. I am your host, Jordan Vanek. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Vanek DFS. As always, I am joined by my co-host at HiloFF. How are you doing today, Hilo? And are you getting your Hall of Fame game lineups in? Oh, yeah, baby. Football is back. We got uh, we have NFL football from now until February. I am so excited for the Hall of Fame game. I am only running one build. And if you haven't already, go join our Discord. Uh, there's plenty of links out there. You can reach me on Twitter if you need it. I threw the lineup that I'm playing tonight on the Discord. So if anybody wants to, you know, rock with me, that's me, really cool. If you want to do me, fine, whatever. It's preseason. I think it is one of those weeks where you could do all the research you want. You're going to need some luck with how that playtime shapes out. I think the people that study it, congrats to you guys. I know there's plenty of people that can profit and make some serious money on it. They have some great contests tonight, to be quite honest, and you should be all playing it. Next week, we actually have Ari Mayloff going on with Josh and Ryan. So if you guys have any questions about training camp, any speculation on where Dalvin Cook is going, be sure to get those questions to Josh and Ryan so that they can at Ari and tag them. But today, the show will be about lineup construction and me and Hilo built lineups that we have just saw about 15 minutes ago. So we're going to talk through those lineups and to kick it off, we're going to go to Hilo and I'm going to put his lineup on the screen. Hilo, tell me about the main piece of your lineup, that main stack you have. First of all, before we get into that, I apologize for not being dark mode. I just switched it over right now. Like, but to, after I saw that <laughs> screenshot, I was like, oh crap, it's not dark mode. So yeah, that's, that's on me. That's my bad. I'll fix it for next time. Um, yeah, the uh, honestly, my lineup construction process for this, I just basically approached it from a game theoretic lens. I think we're the chalk of the week. Well, it's it's tough to say yes, five weeks in advance, of but course. where we sit now, the chalk in the week might just be the commander's defense uh, yep. against Arizona. And so I kind of started from that assumption, and that kind of led to a lot of the process of diagnosing like where I wanted the roster to go. And um, not that I started this construction at defense that I'm never going to do that, but I'm thinking the second and third layers deep of what that meant to me. And that basically, as I have mentioned before, I typically start my lineup building process at the running back position. So that led mm -hmm. me to Brian Robinson. And I think the secondary layer of the commander's defense being kind of the chalk here um, obviously a lot is pending Kyler. We don't know his status, but as we sit right now, that's probably going to, uh, you know, you pit a, a top three, maybe defensive line um, up against the Cardinals with a backup quarterback and no nuke and all the things they have going on. It's kind of just where I think the field is going to be looking, starting their builds right now, five weeks prior. But so that kind of led to Brian Robinson. And I knew from the jump that I did not want to play Brian Robinson with the commander's defense. Um, Cause I think that is going to be probably one of the greater uh, pairings from a roster ship perspective. So Brian Robinson. Um, and then also like, I wanted to not just like go into the build avoiding what I think the chalk game environment is going to be, which I think is going to be Miami and the chargers. Um, but it kind of just materialized that way. So it wasn't like I was like, oh, that's just the chalk game environment. I'm not going to be looking to play pieces from it. It's like, well, no, this kind of this roster just kind of came together without pieces from that roster. 
uh, or from that game environment. Mm-hmm. So after Brian Robinson, I kind of was looking at the NFC, we'll call it the NFC West showdown, which is kind of funny to think about, but the Rams in, in Seattle. And I started thinking, how is the field likely to attack this game, which could turn into a game environment like you had to kind of have? Um, with We know that Seattle's kind of leaned into a more up-tempo, more pass-heavy. We know that the Rams should be capable of putting up points as long as their primary pieces are healthy. But you look at their primary pieces, it's like Cooper Cup. Um, not that I was scared away from the injury, um, his his hammy issue, but just the fact that Seattle is like they didn't did they not give up like a passing touchdown to wide receivers last something crazy where it was like they're out they, wide. Yeah, yeah, out they, wide receivers I, didn't score a touchdown against them the entire season. Yeah, so we can expect Cup to kind of be rotating between out wide and in the slot. Um, so that led me to where is Seattle's deficiencies? Well, it's really too tight end over the middle of the field to slot wide receivers and kind of to the running backs. Um, so I chose to attack that game environment by one, the primary pass catcher, the alpha in Seattle, where I think that the field is going to play JSN probably more than they should in his first professional game. Um, I think the natural pivot, if from the field through that mindset is going to be looking at Tyler Lockett. So that kind of led me to the pay up to be kind of differentiated uh, a bit with DK Metcalf. You look at what DK Metcalf did last season against the Rams, and he put up a 30, what, 34, 37 point game, something like that um, in mm-hmm. their meeting. So I like the primary piece against a defensive unit that is extremely pass funnel because they have that dude named Aaron Donald. Um, I toyed around with trying to play the Seattle running backs pick them type game. And I was like, it's not needed uh, on this slate. So that led me to the, uh, the mini correlation of Cam Akers and DK Metcalf. And that's honestly where this roster started was okay. the two running backs, DK Metcalf. And from there, I kind of started to think about what were some game environments that could blow up at likely low combined rostership. Mm -hmm. And that led me to Denver and Las Vegas. Why? Because both quarterbacks in that game, there's been nothing but like trash talking this entire offseason. So it's like I can kind of get this idea that people are not going to be going to this game environment. But if you look at these two offenses, if you look at Sean Payton now and Joe Lombardi in Denver, if you look at Russ, what Russ did over the last four weeks of the season last year. And if you just like, there's, it's very difficult. First of all, Devontae Adams is priced lower for this week one than he was the entirety of the season last year. Yep. Two, He's still one of the few, maybe three or four wide receivers who like 13 to 15 targets is like a 70% outcome, something like that. Mm -hmm. Like he's got ceiling for days as far as volume goes. So I kind of played into that uh, game environment. And while I liked Tyler Higby for the same reasons why I liked Cam Akers, I decided to go the the Russ double here and bring it back with Devontae Adams kind of as the core. And then... Um, Rashid Shahid kind of fit the bill that you kind of have talked to us about um, this previously this off season, where it's like that difference maker, that guy who can put up the like five for 101 type game 
against a Tennessee defense who bled deep production last season. So I know that you like another guy on that uh, from that game. Um, yeah. This is um, this was my my cheapy difference maker type play for this week. Um, and then then I went to defense and rounded it out. I'm never starting. I'm kind of just filling out the build and then seeing what's left over and what I can make in defense. And I liked Jacksonville because I thought that the Jacksonville passing game would probably be highly owned um, from a just like this is probably somewhere where the field is going to be looking to attack to start the season. And to flip that, I was thinking of how does that fail? And one of the ways that it fails is if their defense succeeds because they have a coaching staff that is known to not continue to be aggressive. And then that kind of works with the fact that they could be facing off um, either against one of the better backups uh, over the previous few seasons uh, in Gardner Minshew or a rookie quarterback who has shown in camp and in OTAs that basically the biggest knock on him is he's holding onto the ball too long. So that's a plus for the ability for the Jacksonville Jaguars to get pressure, to generate turnovers, all that kind of stuff. So it all kind of fit in from there. And that's kind of my process and how it all materialized. So from my perspective, the build from a, the way that I build lineups just off of the way you stack and how you stack is pretty in line with every lineup that uh, I usually go for in the way that I construct lineups and tournaments. Um, question for you here do you feel like this type of lineup is suited for single three entry 20 entry 150 maxes like i think personally that it is like i know the millie maker is extremely hard to go and win but i do believe that like a 3500 jacksonville jaguars defense with the way that you constructed the rest of your team to be honest i don't think it's a hundred percent chance that it's unique, but I think the likelihood that it is, is pretty significant. Just given the sense that Russ is not going to be rostered that much. I think Judy will be, I think Dulcich is going to be a possibility, but Devonte Adams will not be like, yeah. I don't think that, uh, personally, I think this could be a lineup that ends up being pretty unique in the, uh, Millie maker. And then one other question I had was, um, did you have any salary left over? I was trying to add it up in my head and I realized I didn't. I had a hundred, hundred okay. left. Yeah. Got it. So from a unique standpoint, do you think this lineup is something you'd be playing in any type of contest? Sorry. Hopefully my kid's not being too loud. He's right outside the door right now. You're good. Um, I don't hear him. <laughs> sick. Yeah. So like you said, Judy is probably going to garner uh, probably medium roster ship on this slate. Um, I would say that we talked about Brian Robinson. He's probably going to be rostered at a fairly significant rate. Um, but the way that the pieces come together, which is the most important thing for me, again, like you mentioned, Russ doubles probably not going to be rostered a whole ton. Um, paying up at defense on this week where you have the Washington commanders at, what, 2,800, something like that. Yep. Um, that's a fairly significant discount. So, um, yeah, the way that these pieces come together, um, regardless beyond the individual pieces, uh, it fits together in a way that is probably not going to garner significant roster ship. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I actually like the build quite a bit. I don't know if I'm going to jump onto Russ 
in week one as of you know august uh 3rd we're at right now so we got a few more weeks of actually seeing what things they're doing offensively i think the one takeaway that i always come from preseason is seeing how the base coverages look seeing what teams are actually doing tonight's hall of fame game the one thing i'm going to be looking at is jim schwartz i want to see if the installation of their defense is going to be single high coverages just primarily because that's very different than what Joe Woods was doing in the previous years. And that is what Jim Schwartz is known for. These types of things will help me kind of build lineups going forward. And for yeah. myself, I struggled with uh, the quarterback position. I was, I, there was Anthony Richardson, I thought of possibly because I know Gardner Menchu, it, it hasn't been noted that he's a starter. I think from the way that Shane Steichen has talked all offseason, I can't see them not just putting Anthony Richardson out there. He's talked yeah. about getting the reps and different things, but at quarterback to switch over to my lineup, I decided to go with Trevor Lawrence. Obviously I've got the dark mode, which means my lineup is automatically scoring more points, <laughs> but you talked about the commander's defense and Brian Robinson being extremely popular. I agree that that play isn't exactly what makes my lineup anywhere near unique. I just looked at it from a standpoint of, I don't see the path to the commanders failing as of right now with the way that Chase Young's probably going to be back. And then just the defense line that they have, you just want the pressure and you want turnovers. And I think they're going to generate it. Um, yeah. Brian Robinson is the running back that I think is going to get 20 touches in a game that they are leading. I don't think Ron Rivera is going to try to get Antonio Gibson a lot of carries. And um, they have the rookie Chris Rodriguez from, Kentucky that I just don't see him having a role right away. B-Rob, when he gets more and more carries, he's just likely to go better. But when I started my lineup, like you do, you start with running backs. I started with my main stack and I went with T-Law, Ingram, Ridley, and Alec Pierce as the run back. The reason is when I've watched the Jaguars in the recent years, they play extremely fast, but the big play ability is there if a quarterback can do it. With Anthony Richardson starting, I think Alec Pierce at 3,800 is my guy that is, he's going to get the deep looks. He did it to this Jaguars defense last year. I think that you're going to have Tyson Campbell travel with Michael uh, Pittman for majority mm -hmm. of the game. So you're going to have opportunities to take some deep shots against some secondary quarterback play that is not exactly uh, threatening to me. The reason I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to be as rostered as you know expected is because of the price range that he's in, where you have yeah. Geno Smith 6,100 and then Tua 67 and Herbert 69. Both of those um, groupings of quarterbacks, higher Im uh, implied total, I believe. Let me see. Yes. Higher implied total. The spread is a little bit, I mean, uh, not for Geno Smith, but the spread is more concentrated in that to a Justin Herbert game. I think from a popularity standpoint, it's just not going to get that much love. And then double stacking it with a receiver that hasn't played football in two years. I know that he's done extremely well from the camp highlights, which I have been a buyer into Calvin Ridley. 40% of my best ball teams actually feature him, which is not a huge best ball guy, but that's just how I've been with him the entire offseason. He's in a price range where it's Chris Olave, Judy, Lockett, like T. Higgins, and then you have some lesser guys like DJ Moore, Amari Cooper, Mike Williams, where I don't think he's going to necessarily get the love out the gate. 
especially with Christian Kirk being 5,600. And a lot of people throughout the offseason has talked Kirk over Ridley um, fantasy football draft. So I don't think Ridley's going to get the popularity and then double stacking it with the guy that they just paid with Evan Ingram. Um, the Colts have two rookie corners. They're probably going to be playing a lot of single high coverages just because of the fact that they're going to be probably trailing in this game early on. I think Ridley gets it all started hot with this team and Trevor Lawrence and him show that early connection down the field um, in this lineup. That's kind of the goal. And once they go too high, then Evan Ingram comes in, who had the second highest target share on the team last year against two high coverages. Uh, Zay Jones was number one, actually, and Christian Kirk, surprisingly, was number three, even though he was working that intermediate uh, portion of the field. So Ingram had five catches in both games against the Colts, I believe, last year. Gus Bradley is still calling plays for them. I think with the rookie corners, the linebackers are just going to be susceptible to kind of try to help close gaps in their coverage. And with that, you're just going to have some great looks for Evan Ingram in this one and mismatches entirely. But the way that my lineup uh, ended up getting different was, man, the running backs this week, I'm not a fan of by any stretch of the imagination to pay up for one. But having the mini of Chris Olave and Derrick Henry was something that I couldn't avoid. Um, Derrick Henry is a guy that I think throughout the season I'm not going to get much of. But for week one where he's priced, I don't hate it at all. He's never played the Saints, which is something that I found pretty interesting. I thought that he had at least one game in his career against them. Never has. Tennessee Titans offense line isn't great. However, they have to just run the ball. That is their best way to get that offense line going. The Saints are a team that play a lot of two high looks. Maybe they don't in this game, but that's just what they've done. And Tyron Matthews, one of the guys that would come down into the box. So I'm not exactly terrified of him being the guy that has to <laughs> tackle Derrick Henry in that situation. I think DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks are two corners that are two receivers that will make it so that maybe they give some two high looks. And we saw Derrick Henry catch passes. He's caught passes the last two years. So if they go that look and they are trailing, I still think he can find ways to get it done through screens and different things with Ryan Tannehill. Um, Chris Olave, Utah has to do it. The Titans give up a lot of deep down the field shots. Chris Olave was fourth in the NFL in um, air yards. By the way, he didn't play for three games last year. So he was the only player in the top five of air yards to only run to run under 500 routes. So he's the down the field threat for this team. Titans give up a ton of deep looks. I love the Rashid Shahid call. I almost went Derek Carr with Rashid and Chris Olave, but that's something I'll have to see play out once we get a little bit closer to the season. And again, Brian Robinson and commander's defense will be a popular play. Mike Evans will not be. The yeah. Minnesota Vikings are a defense now with Brian Flores that they're not going to give up the methodical drives. They're not going to go ahead and give you, you know, slants and you could just keep dinking and dunking like Daniel Jones did, but they're going to give up the deep shot. I've seen in camp Byron Murphy get beat plenty by obviously Justin Jefferson, but I've seen some clips with Jordan Addison getting the best of them. And with Baker Mayfield, when he sees single high coverage, he targets the nine route at a very high rate. Mike Evans' role in this offense is going to be that deep portion of the field like it has been throughout his entire career. The offensive coordinator they have is actually the guy who played in, uh, was calling plays in Seattle, not calling plays, was a part of Seattle's system for the longest time. 
You saw DK Metcalf. I think Mike Evans gets the same route tree that Metcalf has had. And in a slate, Mike Evans is a slate breaker. He ended the year last year scoring, I think, 17 touchdowns against the Carolina Panthers. It felt that way, at least watching the entire game. I think against his Vikings defense, he's going to catch some deep shots. And me and you have always talked about if you're playing receivers and you think that they're going to be low rostered, you don't want to be playing a receiver that's low rostered that gets 14. That's not going to build a difference. It's not going to be a difference maker in any of your lineups, to be honest. You you need a de- the difference maker that scores 25 to 30. And mm-hmm. Mike Evans, in this particular game, I think he can go for over 100 in a touchdown. And for me, allows this lineup to kind of play into that unique aspect if the Trevor Lawrence uh, stack ends up coming in popular. But for now, I think with the pricing of Tua, Herbert, and then um, Geno Smith, I think T-Law is going to get a little bit less love than normal. And this lineup ends up being unique. So do you have any comments about this one? Uh, Something I was playing around with before uh, I'll get into comments was the Mike Evans, TJ Hawkinson um, mini correlation. (laughs) Yeah, that, that seems like some significant upside for just over what 12 K I think it combined yeah. Hawkinson is five, nine, right? So it's 12 yeah. two. Um, yeah. And if you think those are both guys that can put up 30 burgers plus <laughs> in this matchup, we talked about in our off season, look at secondaries, the kind of transformation that Minnesota's expect to make this season. Um, you alluded to it a little bit with, you know, they're, they're moving from a ultra prevent, type style defensive coordinator to now a extreme in your face pressure. Yep. So if Baker or Trask or whoever the hell's back there chucking the football for the Buccaneers, yep. if they can just see diagnose man coverage for Mike Evans and if they can just hold the safety just away from him and just chuck it like Mike Evans will do the rest type thing. So yeah, yeah there's a lot of upside there. Um interesting Another interesting thing to think about for that is um, it's it's almost impossible not to like a Mike Evans and Justin Jefferson correlation as well, because this is the type of game environment where two expected to be rather pass heavy teams. Um, it, it doesn't have an elevated game total, but it's something that this is like has all the pieces to significantly overperform. Um, so I like that shout a lot. That was worth mention. I also thought it was interesting that the perceived top game environment where we sit now of week one is Miami and the chargers. And neither of us had any pieces. And again, we built these on our own without kind of coming together, meeting the minds type thing. So it was interesting to me that neither of us had a Miami or a chargers piece on it. Were you, was that intentional or were you um, like, how did you approach that? So, for me, when I built my lineup, Mike Evans was actually the last player that I put into it. Um, I had Mike Williams. And when I was looking at, like, I guess the idea of Vic Vangio and the way that I've talked up that Miami secondary is it's going to be a lot better. I know they lost Jalen Ramsey, but they drafted a corner in the second round in Cam Smith that to be honest, I thought was a perfect fit for their scheme. And now he gets an opportunity to kind of show that um, he has a great comment that he made against Tennessee. Like, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with college football, but Tennessee was the offense scoring 50 a game last year. And then South Carolina dominated them. And the way they dominated them was their corners came up against Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt and punch them in the mouth and kind of kept them there. 
Um, so Cam Smith for the Miami Dolphins is a guy that I like. I think defensively, with both of those teams fully healthy, not that they're counters, that they can hold each other a little bit. Not going to necessarily shut down a Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle offense, but with Bosa, with Khalil Mack, Asante Samuel, J.C. Jackson, Derwin James, like they have the pieces defensively to at least limit them. They did it last year. And for me, with how popular that game environment is, it's not something I'm necessarily getting to right now. I actually go to the uh, Miami Dolphins training camp practices on Friday. So there may have been a chance that I would have pivoted to uh, a chain over Brian Robinson based on what I see tomorrow. But for right now, the pricing of the game with the popularity I'm expecting, I don't think it's going to be a game I covet until we actually get some clarity on some certain situations. In particular, I think the Seattle backfield is one of them that like, if Kenny McIntosh or DJ Dallas are the 4K running back that it's complete full go against the Rams, like I'm going to have a hard time not just, okay, I have a 4K running back starting. Now I can find my way to Tua and find my way to Tyreek Hill because the games I want to play Tua are probably going to be Tua, Waddle, and Hill. Like That's just the way that um, that offense operates, and that's the ceiling leaks for both of those guys, or for Tua, I should say is going to take both of those guys going for over 100 yards. And in this week one, I think there's a chance that we don't see the ceiling performance uh, from both of those offenses. I don't know why you didn't play it. (laughs) Because I'm just dumb. No, it's all from a... (laughs) It was all from a theoretical perspective, just kind yeah. of betting against the field. If I, I, I think I see it similar, similarly to you, yeah. and that 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 game is probably going to have a bunch of rostership combined, just th- because you look at the Miami offense, it's highly likely to be concentrated on those three players: on Tua, on Tyreek Hill, on uh, Jalen Waddle. But you look at the Chargers. There's a lot of big names in that offense that yep. are not outside of Austin Eckler are not very priced up. So yep. you're probably going to see a lot of onesie twosies picking like one offs from that game. You're likely to see a ton of game environment attacking that game. So, yeah, it was just made sense to me as opposed to sitting here like in the beginning of August and being like, I know who the Chargers guy that's going <laughs> to succeed is like. Yeah. I'll just bet against the field type thing. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that was kind of my process mindset with it. Also, I will say, I know you mentioned that, like, it's easy to just play Justin Jefferson in that game. I was this close to finding my way to the Cousins, Jefferson, Mike Evans, run back, possibly even going TJ Hawkinson, to be quite honest, just because Kevin O'Connell comes over from the Rams. And again, he put Justin Jefferson in the role that Sean McVay did. He's been he was a Rams offensive coordinator from 2020 to 2022. This is mm. Cooper Cup's game log against a defense of Todd Bowles. 11 for 145 in their first game, 9 for 96 and two touchdowns in their second game, and then 8 for 127 in a touchdown in their third matchup and the f- playoffs in that season uh Cooper Cup nine for 183 in a touchdown it justin jefferson i think is probably gonna have similar to numbers to what i just mentioned and it's like even if he hits like nine for 96 and it's up two touchdowns that's still only three xing his value which is crazy so just 
kind of put like he could not be in the winning lineup and score 35. Like it, it would be difficult to, you know, some other shootouts need to uh, happen, but just something yeah, to depending note. on field size and contest. Yeah, depending. <laughs> yes. Depending on field size and the contest, of course, I also want to see what, how popular he ends up becoming just because of the fact that again, very uh, different situations this year. Obviously it's going to down like the Tampa Bay side is going to limit how people think of things. And Hey, I'm just going to say that Mike Evans might be one of my favorite pivot options week one, even though I do love the 6,500 price range with, uh, with Ridley and Olave. I don't know if I can get away from my guys that have touted all off season, but yeah, the, uh, the other theoretical component that I was going to mention about your roster is we mentioned the fact that like Justin Jefferson, Tyree kill Jalen Waddle, the pay up pieces for week one are highly likely to be these pass catchers because pricing is soft. I mentioned the fact that Devonte Adams, um, he's cheaper than he was at any point last season. Pricing is soft. Typically what you see is in today's NFL. And this is a change over the previous two or three seasons. Today's NFL, if people have extra salary. They're going to allocate it most likely to the wide receiver position because those are typically the higher hit rate um, and more consistent spike week potential type guys. So, um, and the fact that you're good, you, you have Brian Robinson who saw 18 touches per game in a, his rookie season after being shot twice in the leg uh, yeah. and he's priced at 5.1. So yeah, it's just, it's and the price. The fact that Travis Kelsey isn't on this slate means that nobody is allocating salary to the tight end position. Yep. So that um, all that kind of comes together people are probably going to have the salary to pay up for the Justin Jefferson's Tyree kills Jalen Waddles. And it is un or it is less likely that you're going to see people pay up at the running back position. I agree with that entirely. Let me take this down and just say that we're going to revisit these lineups, uh, the week of week one, which is multiple weeks away. Obviously there's going to be a lot changing. I do not recommend playing these lineups and locking them in and just holding it hostage there. Um, (laughs) Definitely love the show that this has been with the DFS one-on-one series Uh, going forward. We will be talking pricing of the positions. And uh, I believe next week I'm going to be possibly taking off just because I'll be going to the fantasy football expo in Canton, Ohio. And it gives us another week of preseason where we will see how these guys actually look. We will see some play possibly from some of these starters in new situations. Um, Hilo, do you have anything to add to the lineup construction show that we just did? There's some juicy contests like you alluded to for some showdown contests for tonight. So get those rosters in. We got football, baby. Let's go. Oh, I can't freaking wait for the football season. As always, thank you guys for tuning in to the Cover 5 show. I am your host, uh, Jordan Vanek, and be sure to check out our lineup construction article that will be coming out early next week. Hilo, hopefully you come in second, I come in first, and we uh, (laughs) enjoy some preseason DFS.